You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today, we have a special guest missionary with us. Let's prepare our hearts as our guest missionary brings forth God's truths from His Word today. It is a joy to be here. I stand amazed. I was telling Pastor today when we went out to eat together, I struggle on what to preach. I'm not going to lie. I don't just have a set little pattern that I've memorized and I come to every church. I'm not going to say it's the first time I preach most of the messages, but I, and I don't microwave them. They've been slow cooked for a long time. Somebody asked me one time, how long take you to prepare that message? Well, I've been saved 45 years and God's still working on the message in my life. But uh, I'm amazed tonight with the culmination of the music, Hear My Lord, Send Me, uh, the other song about the choir sang, about surrendering, willing to go, I'll go, and then the song just then about God has a bigger picture. Um, I go to many churches, I'll be honest, I've gone to some churches when I get up to preach, I say, folks, can we stand and sing Amazing Grace? Because i got to get back in right relationship with God because the music's about driven me, driven me crazy sometimes, you know. And uh, uh, it's just a blessing that these have fit in. And I was praying and praying what God would have me preach. I wanted to preach something else, just to be honest with you. Um, I was going to save this one for tomorrow night, I thought. But uh, after what I've seen tonight, I believe... It's the will of God. I was to say thank you for the piano music. I say sometimes people play a piano. Other times it becomes a part of them, and it's an expression of who they are. My oldest daughter is that way. Uh, she plays the piano, but it really becomes an extension of her, if I could say it that way. And, uh, and that's what I've experienced here uh, this week that it's, you're not just playing an instrument. That's an expression of the soul. My children and I, we homeschooled, and so we would look for field trips one time, and down in Birmingham, they were having a symphony, and they had what they called a luncheon practice, a rehearsal. And we could never afford to go to the actual thing, so we'd go to the rehearsal. They would allow you to come into the rehearsal. And uh, again, not Christian, but the conductor met with all of us in the back room with a little tea luncheon thing. And I'll never forget what he said. Again, not a saved man. He was doing uh, one of the old, old, I don't know if it was Beethoven or I can't remember to this time. But he told who the writer of the music was. And he, made an ex he said something that I've never forgotten. He said... We get to see this man's soul in his music. I mean, the guy's been dead 400 years. But he said, we are experiencing his very soul by what he wanted to say. Music is a language of the soul. Uh, an expression of what we have. Uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. I want to run a million directions. I was a pastor for years, but I got to stick with what I'm here for. Amen. <laughs> uh, uh, turn to Second Chronicles chapter number 36. We're going to start there, and you say this is a mission conference. What's he taking us to Second Chronicles for? That's an odd place, and 
like I said, I'm a strange character anyway. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24, or 36, excuse me, chapter 36. It says in verse 15, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, raising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and they despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. And that's a powerful verse. You think that one through right there. Uh, um, but we'll move on. Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon the young men or the maiden, old men, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem, burn all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had carried, excuse me, them that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, unto the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. What he's basically saying there, over in Jeremiah chapter 25, it says, and it shall come to pass when 70 years were accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. God punished the nation of Israel basically because they forgot to do the Sabbath. They quit doing the Sabbaths. And you can calculate the years that that's why he sent them into captivity for 70 years because they had disobeyed God. Now verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. That's over in Jeremiah 29, 10, it says to the Jews, for thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you in causing you to return to this place. Jeremiah prophesies that, Jeremiah 29, He'd already told him in Jeremiah 25, they're going to go and punish for 70 years. Now in Jeremiah 29, he promises the Jews, you're going to get to go back to your land after 70 years in Babylon to cause you to return to this place. All right. And it says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord, his God be with him and let him go up. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, help me now. I've come to preach. Lord, I really want to. More than anything, I want to be obedient to you. You have set the tone of this message, this service, the music, all that has transpired. 
And I pray, God, I won't take away from it. May I only help it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a missionary, uh, we travel all the time. I, honestly, I came back from uh, Papua New Guinea, and my wife is not in good health. Uh, we had to come home from Canada because of that. We struggled for a year. She was in a coma for 12 days one time. We ended up going to California to try to get some help. And uh, long story short, she's not in good health. She cannot travel with me uh, and by the doctors and so forth. But uh, thank God for the dispensation of iPhones. We, we talk multiple times every day and, and very close. But uh, when we do, when I am in close proximity, she'll travel with me. She can't always make the services because of the travel and so forth. But we were traveling, and sometimes as a missionary, we have what we call down nights. What I mean by that is you have a meeting on Sunday, and you don't have a meeting till Wednesday night. Well, generally, the church will put you up Saturday and Sunday night and help for the hotel or in a prophet's chamber. Sometimes we call them prophet dungeons. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> They're the spookiest places in the world in churches. Many times they're in a church, and when you're by yourself in a church, every, I think the demons possess the place. I mean, you're in that church by yourself, everything makes a noise, you know. And they don't ever have radios or TVs or anything, because you just want noise, you know. You want something, you know, going on. And, and you're just, you know, you know I, I leave lights on, I sleep with lights on and everything else because you're just scared to death. You say, you're a grown man, I, you come do it sometime. I'll watch you, I'll show you. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, sometimes we'll stay in prophet dungeons and so forth. And we, but most of the time if my wife is with me and we don't have, nobody's taking care of us in a hotel and, and I'm a weird, you know, I've already told you I'm weird. I won't stay in hotels if I can help it if my wife's not with me. I have no desire to stay in a hotel by myself. I've had too many people have, too many preachers got trouble. They do things, they watch things, they get involved in things. I don't. Now, if my wife's with me, yeah. But if I'm by myself, no thanks. Uh, I like to stay with people, and I do that all the time. That's just me. And, uh, and I'm, a, I'm an odd duck when it comes to that, but I'm a, I'm never, that doesn't bother me. Uh, but we, did, we had a down night. So we went to where they leave the light on for us, you know, because I'm cheap. And uh, uh, we went to the, we got a hotel. Now I have learned if my wife's traveling with me, I go in and make sure that there's no bed bugs. I know how to check for bed bugs now. I've gone on, you can, uh, you can flip back the edge of the bed, take a, um, a, a hair dryer, a blow dryer, you can blow it on there, turn the lights out, they'll glow. And if they're glowing, you don't need to stay there, amen? And so we... Uh, many times I go to the place and I say, can I see the room first? And I'm going to make sure the bathroom doesn't need a haircut or the beds are okay, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so we, uh, we, we go in and we get in this room and there's no bugs, there's no spiders or whatever crawling around. And so we get in the room. And I'm also odd in this because I always ask them what television channels you have. Now, most of them say, oh, we have HBO. We have, I, I'm not interested in those. We don't have regular cable at our house or anything like that, but my wife loves to watch HGTV. <laughs> I think there's a special place in hell for the guy that started <laughs> that television channel. Uh, I mean, for the simple fact, now I mean, I like the Gameses, you know, the guys, from, the folks from Waco, Texas, I like those. But I mean, Chip is a, is a master carpenter. 
And my wife looks and watches this thing and says, oh, you can do that. Yeah, sure, I, I, I can't do that. You know, but she's just bound to determine we can rip this bathroom out and brother, you can get it done in there and, and do it all in an hour show, you know. Um, and, and, but she loves to watch it. I'm, I'm just being honest, she gets ideas, you know, we all know what lap board is and all those, you know, all those stuff, anyway. So we get in there and I say, well, what I'm looking for, do you have HGTV? Oh yeah, we have it. I said, okay. So we go to the room, we get settled in and I'm not gonna get too, but I get comfortable, okay? I don't plan on leaving the room. I'm gonna sit in and relax. And I turn around my wife, she's deep into love it or list it or something. I don't know, she's watching something, you know? And, and I'm not the least bit interested. In, and I looked around, I was going to, well, I'll read, and I didn't have a book with me, and I thought, well, I'll read my Bible, that's spiritual. I didn't even have my Bible, it was out in the car. Because we were just coming in for the night, and I thought, oh, I don't want to run out there. You know, I know what's going to happen, somebody's going to see me, somebody's going to, you know. So I looked around the room, I'm glad we live in a country that we can still put Gideon Bibles in, in the uh, um, hotel rooms. And now, when I travel overseas, especially Indonesia, largest Muslim country in the world, they won't always have a Bible, but they'll have an arrow on the roof of the ceiling. The ceiling of a room in the hotel will have an arrow. You know what that is? That's the direction for Mecca, believe it or not, because they're Muslim, and they can look up, see that arrow, and they and I get on the chair and turn it around backwards. But anyway, I, I, they're praying amiss. But anyway, I, uh, I looked around the room, and there was a Gideon Bible, over on like the desk type thing opened up to Ezra chapter one. And you know what many churches will have a uh, up, up, up here a, an open Bible or something like that and, and a big old great big Bible you know. And I saw that and I thought well I can go read that and, and I thought well it was laid out almost like it was supposed to be that way. And I thought well that's novel. Now folks please listen to me. I have a Bible reading plan. Um, every year is a little bit different. Read the Bible through one time, two times in a year. Sometimes I'll take a book, like the, uh, the Gospel of John, read for one month the first seven chapters, for the second month read the uh, eight through uh, uh, 14 and stuff like that. I, there's different plans I use. I don't hit and miss when I use the Bible. We've all heard the joke, you know, the guy, Lord, what do you want me to do? Judas went out and hung himself. Ah, no, that's not a good one, you know. Um, Go and do thou likewise. No, that's not a good one. And then he put his finger down and says, what thou doest, do quickly. You know, no, I don't do the Bible that way. But when I looked up and it was sitting on the book of Ezra, I thought, why not? So I started reading. Now, again, I'm a preacher. I'm always looking for sermons. Now, it is hard sometimes to discern what God is trying to teach Alan and what he wants me to preach. I have tried to make it a policy in my life that I preach from what I call the overflow. What God puts into me, I try to preach on the overflow of what he's been putting into me. And so I sat down and I started to read Ezra chapter number one. And I'm sitting there and of course it says, now in the first year of Cyrus. Now you have to stop right there, who's Cyrus? Well, back in Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in that dream, he sees a great image. Remember, Daniel came and gave the interpretation of that image. And what God was teaching 
Nebuchadnezzar, was that Babylon was the, the, the world power at that time, was the head of gold. And he was going to rule, and he was the top dog, if you will. But there will come a time, because there's a breastplate and arms, interesting that there's two arms, of another nation that's made of silver, lesser than the first, but still very important, which would be the Medo-Persian Empire. Then it goes down to the belly and the thighs of brass, which were Greece and so forth. And then the legs of iron, which are representative of Rome. Now, we as most fundamental Baptist preachers believe that the feet, the iron and clay, represent the revived Roman Empire. I personally, and I'm, it's, I'll lose fellowship with nobody on this, but I've begun to wonder if the iron and clay is really a caliphate of the Islamic world power that is seeking to come to power eventually in the world. Now, again, we're speculating there. And there's some reasons I could give you, but I won't go through all that right now. But Cyrus was one of the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire. He was one of the ones that overthrew Babylon. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar is having a great feast with the instruments of the Jews, the golden vessels. When all of a sudden handwriting comes on the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel you farson, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. And what he's saying is, Daniel comes and interprets it and says, you're in trouble, bud. You're about to have to lose your kingdom, about to lose everything. Daniel had been taken by the, by the Babylonians into captivity. There were three sets of captivities. There was the first set, which was the upper class, Daniel, the intelligent group. Secondly, there were the working class with Ezekiel and so forth. And the third was the poor, which was Jeremiah. But Daniel is now in Babylon. He's been interpreting dreams. He interpreted this originally. But in Daniel chapter 5, he tells Belshazzar that they're gonna, the whole kingdom's gone. And at that time, the Medo-Persians were coming in and they conquered Babylon. The Bible calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant, he's referred to as. And what that means is God used him to punish the people of God. God will use the heathen to try to teach his children something sometimes, to punish them. And God used Nebuchadnezzar, though I personally, again, this is Book of Brooks, Think Daniel's at three or four, where Daniel tells his, or where, Bel, where Nebuchadnezzar tells his story of how he turned into like a, a, a horse out underneath the trees and the dew came on him. I think that's really an Old Testament gospel tract that he sent out everywhere telling that he acknowledged that there's a God who rules in the affairs of man. And so whether Nebuchadnezzar got, quote, saved, but he acknowledged the God of Israel in that portion. But God used Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. But now we see a man by the name of Cyrus. And it says, King of Persia. And Cyrus, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, the Bible says, Thus saith Cyrus, he is my shepherd. God calls Cyrus a shepherd. Then Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. And by the way, this is the only time in the Bible 
anyone other than our Lord Jesus Christ until the New Testament was ever referred to as the Anointed One. Jesus was that as the Messiah. But Cyrus was called a shepherd. He was called an, the Anointed One. He was his, his birth was prophetically announced over a hundred years before. And it, it says here that the word of the Lord might, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. He had a bit of a revival in his heart. God stirred him up. And it says, if I can get my glasses on to read it, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, put it also in writing, saying. Now, my, the first question is, well, how in the world, what, what influenced Cyrus's life to get stirred up by the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, and Daniel continued even unto the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Oh, Daniel was still around. Nebuchadnezzar was gone. Belshazzar was gone. All those other boys were gone. But Daniel was still there to the first year of Cyrus. So I believe personally the same way. You know why the, the wise men came looking for the Christ child? Because Daniel had taught them that after so many years it'll be cut off and they go there. They knew what Daniel had said. Daniel greatly influenced. Daniel had no idea as a young teenager when he said, I'll not eat the king's meat, what God was going to do with his life. He had no idea. The little decision he made right there meant volumes in the future one day for him. And it's always the little decisions we make that can greatly influence what's going to be in the future and the choices we make in life. But when Daniel said, I'll not, follow, I'll not turn that way, God kept him around, God gave prophecy to him, and God used Daniel to stir up Cyrus by teaching him and showing him Jehovah Elohim. And so he teaches him that. Now let's look again. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, uh, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation. Now, boy, when I saw that word, made a proclamation, I got excited. Because, well, he's about to make a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. And it also said he put it in writing. And I thought to myself, and again, I'm a preacher. I think in preacher terms, if you will. He made that proclamation. He spoke it and he wrote it down. What was the proclamation? Let's read it. It says, Thus saith the king of per Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. He said, God has told me to go build the house of God back in Jerusalem. Now, that's a pretty big job, amen. <laughs> They'd wiped out Jerusalem, basically. And by the way, the Babylonians took everybody captive. The Medo-Persians allowed them to go back to their places and, and to live. And Cyrus says, God stirred up my heart, given me a proclamation. I've spoken it and I've written it down to go back and build the house of God. Now, I'm a missionary. I'm going to give you Missionary 101. You know what a true biblical missionary is? A missionary is somebody that goes to another place. He gives the gospel of Jesus Christ. He teaches them what the Bible says. 
He plants a local New Testament church. He trains that person to work himself out of a job. He trains and puts his life into that national so that that national then becomes the pastor and literally the missionary leaves and goes and does it again. He goes someplace else and does it again. He builds a church, trains that national, the national becomes the pastor, he goes somewhere else and does it. And I thought to myself, Jesus Christ has given us a proclamation to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, and plant local churches, and then move on to the next step and keep doing it. Why local churches? Because, my friend, what happens in countries, you go in and you train, that country may close, and that missionary may have to leave. Hudson Taylor, when he went to China in the China Inland Mission, he had a 75-year exit plan. He did not think that they would have to stay in China forever. His plan was to go to evangelize, to train, and get out of China and go somewhere else. Now, God worked different things, the boxers, the, all the different things that took place in that, in that, during that time. But his goal was an exit plan to go somewhere else. And God, when, we, when, when missionaries would come to my church, I'd listen for what they want to do. I'm all for hospitals. I'm all for orphanages. I'm all for, for every active thing we can do. But the thing I'm listening for are they building local churches. Because if they build a local church, that church Jesus promises, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Papua New Guinea, we saw it last night. We have a young man going back to Papua New Guinea. He can't get kicked out of his country. He can be there. He knows the lingo. He knows how to act. He knows how to eat the food. He knows all about those things. He can say, now, we're there right now. Thank God we're there. But there could come a day. When that country could close. Russia is open right now, but they're trying to close it so fast. Venezuela has kicked out most all the missionaries. Unless they're in the big city, they will not let them out into the outward parts of Venezuela right now. Many countries, that could happen. But if you've trained a national. And so what I'm saying is, Cyrus made a proclamation, put it in writing. Our Lord has made a proclamation, and he's put it in writing. To go out and build the house of God in all the different countries of the world. Build that house of God. We're to win them, we're to baptize them, we're to teach them, we're to plant local churches. But then in verse number three, it says, who is there among you of all his people? Cyrus asked the question, who? The people who go. He says, who is there among you of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, let him, at which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Cyrus asked a question. Here's the proclamation. Go build the house of God in Jerusalem. Who is there among you that will go? Chapter 2 tells us that 49,697 people volunteered to go. You say, wow, that's a big amount. No, there could have been millions of Jews in captivity in that seven year period of time. I don't know how many there were. 
I would personally think that if I'd been taken into captivity and I've been gone for 70 years and all I've heard about is where I used to live and the king gets up and says, if you want to go back, I'll help you go back. I'd volunteer to go right off, wouldn't you? But a lot of the folks didn't decide to go. Majority have decided to stay in Babylon. They did not go back. But 49,697 people said, we will go. Now, there were some prerequisites to that. They volunteered. There were three prerequisites. Number one, look at verse three. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. When I look at a missionary and I listen to a missionary's heart, I want to know that the presence of God is in his life. I want their life and their testimony to make me thirsty. I want enough salt in their life that when I listen to them, I sit and say, wow, God is on them. I don't want a professional Christian. I don't want somebody who just wants a job and say, hey, it'd kind of be neat to go to another country. I want to know God's with them and God's put it in them. That leads me to the second thing. Look down at verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all them whose spirit God had raised. I want to know that they have God's spirit working in their life. That it's an evidence thing. And by the way, I believe with all my heart, if you're a child of God, you can sense when God's doing something in somebody's life. I know a pastor can. I, as a pastor, I could look and see where God was doing something. Uh, you know, a lot of times I knew God was doing something in some of my members' heart before they acknowledged that God was doing something in their heart. I could see in their life God was doing something. And it says that the Spirit of God is in them. We need to be filled and motivated and ask God to lead and guide us, the Holy Spirit of God. And then I think also there has to be a passion for God. My grandfather was a preacher. He used to tell me, I remember one time, I asked him about revival meetings, I asked him about living for God. He said, Alan, they called me Brud, he said, Brud, that's what my nickname was. If you want people to be right here, but they're over here, he said, you've got to stand over here to get them to come that far. Most of the time, people will never go as far as you want them to go, but you have to be a fanatic about it. And what he was basically saying to me, if you want people to move in the right direction, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to have a passion for God, a passion for souls, a passion. Somebody said one time to Hudson Taylor, oh, you must really love the Chinese people. He said, no, I don't. But I love my God. My love for God drives me to reach the Chinese people. And please, I, I do believe you can love the folks you work with, but you'll get so frustrated sometimes and so upset, you just want to kill them sometimes and, and you want to just pack it in and say I'm through here but the love for our Lord keeps us going in those areas so number one we have the proclamation the king makes it go build the house of God number two we have the people who say we'll go and I thought well this is a good mission message I was happy now look at verse four and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth now, that's interesting how God writes things. He said, now, there, here's, here's the group of folks that are going. Now, there are other folks that are going to remain. But notice he uses the word that sojourn. You see, God is saying there, this world, Babylon, was not their real home.
they're just, they're just sojourning there. They're just there for a while. And child of God, please listen to me. I'm an American from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. The American flag goes by. I, I, I salute. I cry. They, they sing certain songs and I'll, I'll just want to just weep. But if we're not careful, we're more American than we are Christian. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I've heard all my life, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. But they're also the reverse is true. Sometimes we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Don't get your roots too deep. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not home yet, children. God doesn't promise that America will be here forever. God doesn't promise that America will always be the greatest nation in the world. But we are a follower of the greatest God in all the world. And he is not an American God. He's a world's God. That God wants to reach people. So he uses the word sojourn. We're just passing through. Those that stay. Now look at it in verse 4. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place. What's the next two words? Help him. With silver and with gold and with goods and beasts. Besides the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. He's saying, not only are you sojourning, if you're not going, you got to help him. And it's not just your obligation to help him with the free will offering. We're all supposed to do that. And I thought to myself, we're all supposed to tithe. We're all supposed to give to the Lord. Amen? I know I'm gone. He's going to get quiet. I'm going from enjoyable preaching to money. It's, there's just a nerve that just hits us there, doesn't it? Huh? Come on. Just, ooh, that would hurt, you know. It was a great day when I learned as a pastor to not be scared about preaching about giving because God was going to take care of me no matter what's going to happen because he called me. Giving is not for the preacher. Giving is not specifically for the church. It's for you. You read Malachi. God will work in your life if we're obedient to him in those things. It's for you. In, In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he talks about faith promise he says it's for you. It's for us. The benefits are ours. The Bible says God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing. God never intended the blessings just to be for us. It's so that we could be a blessing. So he says, whosoever is among you who remaineth to sojourneth in that place, let him help him with the silver, with the gold, with goods and beasts. And what's that mean? There's multiple ways of helping. It's not always just finances. I remember when I first took a church to pastor, we had our first mission conference. One of our missionaries was Brother Terry Jones. We took him on, and we decided as a church we were going to pay his passage to go to Costa Rica. And he spent over 25 years in Costa Rica. He's now a director, tremendous preacher, great guy. We decided we're not only going to help him with gold and silver, we're going to help him with the beast. We got him there. And there's ways of helping, and he's so helping with the beast. Besides the free will offering, we're all supposed to give anyway, but to go over and above in those areas. And I thought to myself, what a blessing. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 24, David and his men go out to do battle. But some of the folks had to stay back. When they came back, some of the guys said, hey, they didn't go. Well, we ought to get all the spoils. And David very clearly said, we want equal portions for those who go and those who stay. 
He said, no, no, no. They couldn't go because of their condition, but they get to just as much as rewards as those that do go. Over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 36, it tells us that, well, look over there, John, first, or John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse number 36. This is uh, what we <coughs> talk about the harvest. Uh, it says in verse, well, let's start at verse 35. Say not ye, there are four months, and then come of the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Some sow, others reap, both rejoice. Some give, some go, both rejoice. It's equal. Paul said in Philippians that I want fruit to your account. They gave to him so he could go, but they both got the fruit of their reward. You see what I'm trying to say? It's not just for the missionary. It's for both of us to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, man, I read that. I was getting excited. I said, I got me a missions message. I'm so excited about it. Let me get back over there. And I kept on reading. It says then, uh, verse 6, And all they that were about them strengthened the hands with the vessels of silver and gold, and with goods and beasts and with precious things. Besides all, was willingly offered. Then verse 7 says, Also... Cyrus. Also Cyrus the king brought forth vessels. And I won't read on down through there then. Well, here's what happened. When Cyrus saw the people who were willing to go, and he saw the response of the people who said were sojourning, we're going to help, he says, I want involved in that. Now please remember, who gave the proclamation? Cyrus did. He's the proclaimer. He wrote it down. He said, go do it. They said, we'll go. The others said, we'll help them. And Cyrus says, you know what? I want to get involved in that. He said, guys, go get those gold vessels that Babylon took out of the temple. Give that all to them. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what faith promise is. We get groups of people that say, I'll go. Missionaries, we've seen them this week. Amen? I'll go. We get a group of people that say, we're going to help them. And then God steps in and he does stuff for us so that we can help them even more. He, that's where they got, were able to not only give to their power, they gave beyond their power. The proclaimer steps in and does something. Uh, as you can tell, I love to read. I love old preachers. I've talked about that a lot when I'm here. Dr. Raymond Hancock was a preacher in Atlanta, Georgia area. He's just old leather-lunged Georgia preacher is what he was. But he had a sermon one time. He told a story about he was in his office studying. Man, the birds were heavy. Just really bad. He said, I, I had to get out of the office. I had to go for a walk. He said, I just, man... I had to get my head straightened around. He said, I went out for a walk. I was walking down the road. 
And he said, I'm just watching. He said, I came to this curb. And he said, the funniest thing, there was this roach. I know we're up north, but y'all know what roaches are? Down south, we know what roaches are. But I mean, there was this roach, but with its road gear up. All right, it was on his back. But it was moving. He thought, well, that's interesting. And he looked real close, and there were a bunch of ants. He said, there were a whole bunch of ants had picked up this roach, and they were carrying it along the ground. Now, I don't know what ants exactly want to do with the roach. I got an idea, but, you know, they're carrying this roach. And ants carry far more than they're supposed to be able to carry, okay? Those are sturdy little boogers, I'll tell you that much. And they're, they're going along. He said, so I started watching them. It just got my mind off of my burdens and everything else. The Bible says, consider the ant, you know. So I was sitting there watching the ant. They're going along. And he said, I looked real close. And I finally realized there's a whole lot more ants than just underneath that thing. There were a bunch of them running around in circles around the roach. He said, there were even some of them on top of the roach putting more burden on the, ro- the, the ones underneath. He said, that's my church. <laughs> he said, there's a group of folks that just get under the load and they're carrying it. There's a whole lot that run around in circles saying, it can't be done. We can't do that. We'll never get it done. We'll never get it done. It can't get this done. Can't get this done. He said, they're running around in circles. And then there's some of them, they're adding weight to it because they won't do anything. They just take the benefits. He said, that's my church. He said, I watched them, and they came up to that curb, and he said, they stopped. He said, they had a deacon's meeting. (laughs) I don't know what they had, but they had had a men's meeting, all right? Bunch of them all stopped. They looked at the curb. Some of them said, preacher, we can't do it. We'll never get this roach up that thing. Some of them said, yeah, we can. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And And it was so obvious that they were sitting discussing this curb of how they're going to get this roach up this curb. Finally, some of them got under the load, and they started, and they started up straight up the edge of the curb. They got a portion of it, and you know what happened. Bloop, down they went. Some of them gave up, walked off. Some of them said, come on, let's try it again. They, they got back underneath the roach, and they, they, started, they started up that side. He said, I watched them three times try to take that roach up that curb. And they, the third time, they almost made it when it, poof, right, fell back down. He thought, oh, they'll quit. He said, no, they didn't. They faint not, amen. <laughs> they got back under it. A lot of them had left. New ones had showed up. And they got under that thing. And he said, I knew I needed to get back to the office. I, I needed to go. I was wasting way too much time. But he got up, and they were going, and it was almost to the edge. He said, I had to do it. I reached down with my pen, and I just flipped that thing up over the curb. And he said, you thought they were Pentecostal. Woo! They started running around in circles. They got up the curb. And he said, you know, that's exactly what God does for us sometimes. When we've done what we should do, and we've obeyed God, and we've gone what we think is our limit, God comes along and does a little bit more. God steps in. It helps us just a little bit more. Years ago, 1921, a Scandinavian couple by the name of David and Sevilla Flood and their two-year-old son surrendered to go what was called the old Belgium Congo. They, uh, they left Sweden. 
They got there. There was another sweet Scandinavian couple by the name of the Ericsons. They teamed up together and they were going to go way out to an area where nobody had been before. They traveled out to this place called uh, Nodoral. They got out there, but they were rebuffed by the chief. The chief would not let them come into the, the village. He said, if you get in this village, you will anger the gods. So he would not let them come into the village. They went about a half a mile up, and they built a hut, the two families did, and they were hoping and praying that God would allow them to work in those people. The chief finally succumbed to the fact he would not let him in the village, but he would let one young boy go twice a week, sell him chickens and eggs. He would come up twice a week. Sevilla Flood, the wife, she was only four foot eight, little bitty lady. She said, I may not be able to reach any other African. I'm going to talk to this one. He's the only African I get to talk to. So every time he comes, I'm going to talk to him about Jesus Christ. And below and behold, she succeeded, won that young boy to Christ, and it was a great encouragement. Well, then malaria hit. It, 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 it started to strike down everyone. The, the little boy that they brought, he passed away. The Ericsons had suffered enough, they said, we're leaving. And they went back to a main compound miles away. So now Sevilla and David Flood are the only ones out there. They're suffering from malaria. They're really sick. And lo and behold, Sevilla finds out she's expecting. Of all the things in the world, she thought this is the world's worst place in the world. I'm racked with malaria and everything else. And she's expecting. The young boy goes and pleads with the chief, would you at least allow somebody to help her through this birth? And the chief does send a, uh, a, um, a lady to go up and assist her in the birth. And a little girl named Anya was born. But Sevilla, her body was so bad, racked with malaria, she only lasted another 17 days, and Mama died. When Mama died, something snapped in David. It was like he'd had it. He couldn't take any more. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, took his child, that little bit baby, went down the mountain to the mission station and gave his newborn baby, Anya, to the Ericsons and said, I can't take it. God's forsaken me. I'm going home. And he left. The Ericsons took that baby, but sickness racked their bodies and they finally were succumbed to death. Before they died, they gave them to another family, the Durst family, which was an American family. That American family took care of little Anya. They, renamed, they changed her name to Aggie, make it Americanized it a little bit more. And finally, they went home on furlough. They were worried about passports and whether they could keep the baby, so they decided they couldn't go back to Africa again. They were going to stay in the United States. Mr. Durst, Brother Durst, he took a church. They raised uh, Anya, or Aggie, as their own child. She grew up eventually, went to Bible college, of course, with Christian, went to Bible college, her, married a, a young man that was a good godly man. He had a fruitful ministry. He became president of a Bible college. And one day, at Washington State, one day, 
out of the blue, a magazine, a Scandinavian magazine, showed up in Aggie's mailbox. Now, she couldn't read any of it. She didn't know how to read it. But she looked in, and she was flipping through the pages, and all of a sudden, there was a picture of a white cross with the name Sevilla Flood. She immediately went to the Bible college and said, please, there was a guy who taught Scandinavian languages. Please tell me what this is. Tell me what it says. And he began to share what the article said. The article said that Sevilla Flood had come there with her husband to reach the people with the gospel. Told the whole story about how she, they were not allowed into the village. But she did reach one young man with the gospel of Jesus Christ. After Sevilla died and they buried her there, David and the rest of the white people left. But that young boy kept living the life and eventually influenced the chief to allow him to start a church and a school in their village. And as time went, the whole village, including the chief, turned their heart and life to Christ. And the church was over 600 people. And that's what the article was about. She couldn't believe it. She read on. She, she thought about it. Well, for their 25th anniversary, the Bible college where he was president decided to give him a vacation in Sweden. And her goal was to go find her daddy if he was still alive. She had no idea. She went there. He had gone home, remarried, fathered four more children, but generally had destroyed his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, and little Anya or Aggie went to see him. He, she first met with her step-brothers and sisters, and they said, Oh, I'm sure Dad will be loved to see you, but please, no matter what you talk to him about, do not bring up God. If you bring up God, he's going to fly into a rage. And he will, just, he will just throw things and get mad. Do not bring up God. Well, Aggie went in. To, she wasn't going to be deterred. She went in to see him. She walked into a squalor of an apartment with liquor bottles all over the floor. Approached the 73-year-old man and laying on a rumpled up bed and said, Papa. He turned and looked. And for some reason he said, Anya? And she said, yes, Papa. And he said, I never meant to leave you. I couldn't take it. I could not take it. And I knew you needed a better life. She said, it's all right, Papa. God took care of me. And he stiffened. Oh, he got mad. And he said, God forgot all about us. Our lives have been like this because of him. Don't ever talk about him. And he turned his face back to the wall. Lelanya took her hand and started rubbing his face and said, Daddy, Papa, I got a story to tell you. Remember the young boy Mama talked to? He's now pastor of a church of over 600 people in that village. You thought God had forsaken us, but God had done something very special. She rejoicingly said within that next day, her daddy turned back to God and then died about 17, 14 days later after she had left. A few years later, the Hearst, the family, Aggie and her husband, were invited to a, 
Evangelism Conference in London, England. They got there and the superintendent of the National Church, representing 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel in his nation. Aggie just, she couldn't handle it. She finally went up and had to a translator, they speak French, and said, could you tell me something? Have you ever heard of Sevilla Flood? And through a translator, the man looked at her and said, oh, of course, I was that boy. And I'm now head of over 110,000 people that are following Jesus Christ in Zaire right now. Hey, we may think we're falling off the edge, but God can come along and do far more if we just give our heart to him. Except a corner of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But it will bring forth. So there's the proclamation. Go out and build the house of God. There's the people who go. And maybe God's calling you to go. Here my Lord, send me. Here my Lord, send me. I will go. Then there's the folks who stay with the gold, the silver, the beast, the waste for them to get there. And then thank God, God steps in and does stuff that we couldn't even imagine. When we do what we're supposed to do, it frees God to do what he wants to do in our hearts and lives. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to preach. Thank you for the privilege of hearing and sharing these stories and what the Bible teaches us. God, please help us hear the proclamation. It's been spoken. It's been written down. We've got it. We've been commanded to go. God, the question comes out, who will go? Who's going to go? Where are the Phillips? Where are the folks that will go help build the house of God? And then, God, if you've not called them to go, if they're going to stay here and sojourn here, God, help them to help him who will go. And, God, when we do what we're supposed to do, it frees you to do what you want to do. And you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Pastor. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.